great to see you. Um, listen, let me say, if you're here visiting or for the first time, we'd love to get to know you better. Do come and find us. There'll be one of the team at the back of the welcome area. We'd love to tell you more about what happens here. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Nell and I went on one of our date nights to watch a film called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I don't know if anyone else has seen it or read the book or seen the TV show. Two of us. Brilliant. This is going to work really well. Um, okay. We'll go with the story anyway. And we were, we were sat in the cinema and one of these new kind of plush screens over at Westfield. Um, and it was... It was an incredible experience, I really enjoyed it, but we'd had a nice bite to eat before we had the meal, so we had a later showing, and so I'm sat in my chair, and about 20 minutes before the end, unfortunately, I fell asleep. Um, I awoke just as they revealed who the spy was. So I knew the ending, but I had no idea how they got there. Which was immensely frustrating, I have to say. So a, few, a couple of weeks later, we went back with my parents to watch the film again. And, and I have to say, I enjoyed the experience more knowing the ending because I really got to understand and spot some of the little things that happen in the story. You know, the relationships that you suddenly see more of a depth to or the conversations that mean a bit more than they did before. And it was fascinating. And, and I have to say that I found that the film was a richer experience because I knew what happened. And when we come this morning to the final chapter of 1 Peter, um, Peter gives, in, the, in verse 14, I think it's verse 14, uh, in verse 12 even, he gives the kind of, his headline, this is why I've written to you. Friends, I've written to you because I want to encourage you, and I want you to know the grace of God and stand firm in it. So now that we know Peter's purpose, we can see the end in mind, we can see this is, this is what he meant, and so for the rest of the letter we can start to understand um, what it means. And it gives us, I think, a deeper understanding of some of the things that he's talked about earlier on. Peter's writing to Jewish and Gentile Christians that are scattered over what we would know as modern Turkey, who are under pressure, facing persecution. Um, Peter says that he wants them to know that God is with them. He wants them to keep going. And the letter splits into three sections. just want to head back uh, into chapters 1 to just halfway through chapter 2. Um, and Peter there focuses in on their identity. Let me just read from chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter wants them to know who they are. He wants them to be assured of their identity, of who God thinks they are, and that that hasn't changed because they're not in, in Jerusalem anymore. It hasn't changed because they're in a foreign land under a foreign ruler. They are still the people of God, and Peter wants them to be secure in that. You know, God doesn't take, when Peter talks about his, God's grace and special favour for them, he wants them to know that, that doesn't go, again, because they've moved or because they're somewhere different. Otherwise, it would be conditional, and it isn't, because grace is unconditional love and favour from the Father. So that's the first section. Peter wants them to know their identity. Know who you are, Peter says. And then the second is, he says, because you're, you know who you are, now you can live it out. Because our identity, who we are, or who we think we are, that directly affects and shapes how we live. And so if um, this church, these Christians, know that they are... God's chosen people, dearly, dearly loved, 
that's going to affect how they live and relate to the world in which they find themselves, a hostile world even. And so Peter says, you know, I want you to have confidence in sharing your faith in this place because God has got your back. God is holding on to you. God will keep you secure. Peter wants them to know that if they live a life of goodness and faithfulness, that others will notice and that that in turn will draw them into the special chosen people of God. You know, as Mark said earlier in the series, in all of us are chosen. It's up to us what we do with that. Do we accept his invitation to join his people or not? And, and Peter's saying, if you live, you know, live as, set aside Christ in your heart as Lord, live in such a way that will provoke questions, will provoke others to ask why you live a certain way. And Peter's doing here, he's trying to instill courage into them. He's trying to build them up and strengthen their identity, that they might keep going and not give up. So as we come to chapter 5 um, this morning, um, Peter is desperate and urging these Christians not to give up, not to abandon what they've already done and where they've already been. And so the final chapter that uh, he wants to impress upon them um, splits into three sections. The last section is the, uh, is the kind of closing greetings, if you like. And I want to focus on two other sections. Um, the first comes from verse 1 to 7, and the second is from verse 8 to 11. In verse 1 to 7, Peter looks at humility. And he says this, you know, serve one another in all humility. In the second section, Peter says, be bold and stand firm in your faith. Stand firm and be strong in what you believe. Humility. What is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Isn't it something that many of us might ask the question of? Um, service and humility are really important characteristics for every Christian. You know, key character traits um, that should dis- we should display and live out in every area of our life. And I think Peter here is concerned that different groups... Uh, and ages are, fact- are kind of splitting apart, falling out, because they're not willing to serve one another and be humble. Um, a few weeks ago, well actually well, since we moved to London, um, I've started cycling again. Living in Bristol, it's a very hilly city, and I don't like arriving anywhere particularly kind of out of breath and completely exhausted. But in London it's nice and flat, so I've cycled quite a bit more recently. Um, and one of the things I really enjoy is during rush hour when I get to go in the bus lane on my bike and roar past all these cars sat in traffic. There's something quite satisfying about that, isn't there? Anyone, can anyone else relate to that? I don't cycle very far, but you know, up here people are definitely kind of recognise that. Um, you know, cycle up the Uxbridge Road and there's cars and I'm kind of, yeah, this is great. Um, but you know, occasionally a car will get a bit clever and will swing into the bus lane. Um, has anyone else had that experience in London, of a car kind of taking you out in the bus lane? Don't you get really mad at that car for driving in the bus lane? Isn't it outrageous? You know, this is for cycles and buses and motorbikes, actually taxis I guess, but you know, we'll let them off. But you know, it's, it's for us, it's not for you. Um, a few weeks ago, we were in Bristol and we were driving to see some friends and we were in a rush and I knew the road in Bristol really well. I needed to take a left turn and the left lane was a bus lane and um, I'm sat in the kind of outside lane thinking, I know that left turn's only a hundred yards up there. I've done this so many times before, I'll just swing in and pull in left because I know where I'm going, it'll be fine. So I swung in left into the bus lane, drove up. There were no cyclists there, I didn't get in anyone's way and turned left. Unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, um, Bristol County Council sent me a letter. And on that letter was a photo. 
And in that photo was my car. In fact, I think you could see me at the wheel. You know, it's quite fun when we're humbled for something that we would judge others for, isn't it? I mean, in all seriousness, I think sometimes we, we are, when we want to learn humility, I think the time that we learn it is when we're humbled. Is that fair? I think that's true. Um, and when Peter's talking to leaders or elders in the church, he's saying to them, you know, there's a way of leading and there's a way of not leading. Jesus talked about this. He said the Gentile rulers, he said they lord it over everyone. It's all about power. The Roman Empire sought to bring in peace by domination, by destruction, by enforcing a rule of law. And Jesus said, we don't lead that way. We don't live that way. Disciples of mine don't do things that way. We serve and we love And in reading this, it's fascinating. Peter doesn't call himself an apostle. We know Peter is the apostle to the Jews. He's he's kind of a big figure in the early church. And what Peter does is, is interesting. He says this, I too am an elder or a fellow elder and a co-witness. I'm not, he's not calling himself an apostle. He's not calling himself um, anything special. He says, I'm with you. I'm on your level. We're on the same page. I'm a shepherd like you're a shepherd. These are the guys leading the church. He doesn't play a kind of card and use his authority. He appeals to them as someone who's alongside them. Isn't that refreshing? He doesn't use his rank to dominate. And if we're to lead, we're to lead people with service and humility, just like Peter. You know, many of us have experienced that kind of arrogant and domineering and oppressive leadership, maybe in the workplace or even in our families or somewhere else. And it crushes and it, it kind of removes life. We don't thrive and grow in that kind of environment because we're made to grow in a different environment, a different place. You know, Jesus modelled a different kind of leadership. He modelled a leadership that has integrity, that allowed the least and the last and the broken to come alive, not have, you know, a bruised reed I won't break, Jesus said. I'm not going to snuff the life out of someone who's at the end of their rope. You know, this kind of leadership brings the best out of people, doesn't it? We thrive when we know that our leaders are for us. When we know that those who manage us want the best for us. That they care about us as a person, not just about the job we can do. When our, when our parents and our loved ones, you know, look to, look to nurture us and encourage us and speak affirming words to us. That's the kind of leadership um, that Peter spells out because that's the kind of leadership that Jesus modelled. And, you know, if we're leaders in any form of life, in any, in any kind of career or place, not just in church, but wherever it might be, you know, we're to lead like Jesus led, with gentleness and care. And in order to grow in that humility, we need to serve others with practical action. I truly believe that one of the best ways to break down barriers um, with, with those we're kind of falling out with, and in this case, Peter's talking to, to the elders, and he says the younger men. Um, and it might be that it's, there's, there's an age issue there, but it might also be a kind of social thing. There's just a split. There's, there's something developing that Peter's not happy about. And he, so he says, serve one another with all humility, because that's the way to break down that barrier. So think about the people that we might have an issue with, or we might be feeling this distance growing in a relationship. How can we serve one another in all humility? You know, as simple as taking someone out for a coffee, as simple as buying someone lunch, as simple as just a kind word or an email or a postcard that just says, you know, I remembered, thank you for what you've done, I remember what you did. I really appreciate that. 
Those little things can make such a huge difference. And maybe that's something we want to do this week. We want to find someone who we are maybe struggling with in the workplace. How can I serve that person with all humility? It makes such a difference. So, Peter says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he'll lift you up. Because God loves the humble. It's something that, because it's something about his character that we show to the world. And the second section I want to move on to now is, um, kind of seems to change tack quite quickly. Um, and Peter here is wanting to encourage those Christians to stand firm in their faith, uh, not to give up, to be strong, because the Christian life is a battle. Peter says this, be careful, watch out for attacks from the devil. Many of us will know all too well that the Christian life is a battle. And, and if we don't have that mentality, if we forget that it's a battle, sometimes it can catch up with us and surprise us. I certainly find that often I will forget, actually, we're in a battle. There is an enemy who wars against us. And if we forget that at times, we can find ourselves caught by surprise. And so Peter doesn't want them caught by surprise. He doesn't want them to be ambushed. You know, the Romans built those great straight roads so they would avoid ambush. So they would, they would know what's ahead and know what's coming. They were alert and awake. And Peter wants his, his Christ, the Christians he leads, that, that um, he's writing to, to be of the same mind, to be alert and awake. That's the first thing. Don't get caught unawares. The Christian life is a battle. The second thing is know who your enemy is. And Peter talks about the enemy, the devil. Um, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for a victim to devour. Isn't it easy when, when we come into a situation of conflict or battle, when we're opposed, maybe for our faith? You know, maybe we read of different people around the world who are persecuted. We talked about Pastor Nadakani last week. You know, someone who's facing unjust uh, court system and will probably, you know, still facing execution today. Isn't it easy to think that the people that we're fighting against are flesh and blood? The enemy we're fighting against is flesh and blood. It's those judges in, in Iran, or it's, it's my boss at work, or it's my neighbours who, 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 are, who are terrible, and I don't know what to do about it. But, but Peter and Paul are really clear that our, we're not fighting flesh and blood. That's not who our enemy is. But so often we make it that way. You know, it's easy to demonise other people. But Peter says, when you're under fire from others, you need to stand firm. Not fight back with the same weapons. Not, not take revenge, but stand firm. What does that mean to stand firm, to be strong in your faith? I think it means this. It's to let our faith in Jesus be our strength in times of trouble. It means praying more. It means getting alongside us people who are going to support us, who are going to listen to us, who are going to comfort us who will be those who will laugh with us when we're rejoicing, but who will weep with us when we're weeping. Do we have those people we can call alongside? This morning, we would love to pray for you if you are in that place of feeling, I'm just holding on. I'm standing firm in the battle. You know, do whatever it takes to keep going. Um, David, King David in the Old Testament uh, talked about in the midst of the battle how he strengthened himself in the Lord. How do we do that? Do we read the scriptures? Do we, do we kind of retreat a little bit to, to get more time with God in prayer? Those are some of the things we might do that would help us to stand firm. We're to remember we're not alone, verse 9. Peter says that all over the world, other Christians are suffering in the same way that you are. It's not that you're doing anything wrong, Peter's saying. Don't feel like you're on the wrong track. You know, you, others are suffering the same way that you are. 
You know, they're showing immense courage and strength, and let them be an encouragement to you. You know, for us, we should be encouraged by the Christians around the world that we read of who are standing firm in their faith in a place of persecution. That should encourage us and embolden us. It certainly challenges me. I don't know if, how, if that's the same for anyone else. And finally, in the battle, we need to know that God will come through. You know, again, last week I talked about this life isn't it. You know, sometimes in this life it just seems like it's trouble after trouble after trouble. But God will always come through. Um, Our life is safe in God's hands. Our future is certain regardless of what this life may bring. You know, Peter says this, that God promises to restore us, to support us, to strengthen us, and to place us on a firm foundation. And when we're in the midst of the battle, it can feel anything but secure, strong, or safe. And as we finish, in the battle, we need to hold on to the grace of God. As Peter said, my purpose in writing to you, verse 12, is to encourage you and assure you that the grace of God is with you no matter what happens. No matter what happens, God is with you. No matter what happens, God is with you. Are you like me and recognise your need to grow in humility? Um, are you like, like me and knowing that God wants to grow that virtue within you, that you wish you wouldn't power up over that particular person, or think badly or judge someone else? Maybe this morning you're weighed down with anxiety, and Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. The verb is really strong. It's to literally unload your shoulders onto his shoulders. Are you kind of weighed down with anxiety this morning? Let's cast all our burdens onto God who cares for us deeply. Do you feel like the battle is raging? Peter says, stand firm. We'd love to pray that God would give you the strength to do that this morning. Can I encourage us to stand? We're going to pray.